Hello, I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. And welcome to the Travelling to Radio Show. We've just finished three months of cycling in New Zealand, and we've got so much to tell you about this wonderful part of the world. One of the most popular places there is for cycle touring. And we've also tracked down a local expert who's got heaps of touring experience, and he's going to give his two cents on cycling in New Zealand. Yeah, normally we try to record these uh, podcasts in uh, beautiful countryside, nice and quiet, birds chirping. Uh, but today we're in uh, someone's backyard in Auckland and just getting ready for our flight to San Francisco. But while we were in uh, the South Island of uh, New Zealand, we did manage to record some interesting bird life. Have a listen. amazing, isn't it? One of the birds you heard on there was the tui. Now, the first place you'll probably see a tui when you get to New Zealand will be on a beer bottle because it's the mascot for one of the most popular kiwi beers, which is called tui, unsurprisingly. But once you get into the rural areas, you just cannot miss the singing of these birds. They have an incredible range of tone and pitches and sometimes we'd be in a campsite or just cycling along and you'd look up in the tree and you'd be looking for ten birds because just the variety of sounds they make you just can't imagine it all comes out of one little beak but it does so <laughs> keep your ears out for the tui and look up and you'll see a black bird with a little white bit on his throat and that's him up there impersonating about ten other birds in one so cycling in new zealand the first thing you need to know is definitely the best cycling is in the south island i mean by far if you have anything less than two months i mean just get yourself down to the south island and start from there yeah, the scenery is just stunning, absolutely stunning, and so diverse. I mean, we saw glaciers, rainforest, fjordlands, mountains. Every day is something different on the South Island. I've never seen anything like it. And there's almost no traffic, and plenty of ice cream, and oh, beautiful coffee. Yes, you wouldn't think it for a nation of only 4 million people, but the Kiwis do excellent coffee, so that's great. And there's a surprising number of nice places to stay if you've got a decent budget. For us, it's a bit hard to summarize the entire South Island, so we're going to give you our, you know, top two picks of places that we enjoyed that we cycled along while we were there. I guess I'll go first. My favorite was the Marlborough Sounds, and they are right at the very top of the South Island, so this is something that you could do either at the very beginning or at the end of your trip when you're coming into Picton by ferry. It'll only take you about half a day at most to get from Picton up to the Marlborough Sounds, and essentially they're like a fjord. And so you ride into the sounds on these narrow little roads and they do go up and down a lot. There are a lot of hills. None of the hills are very big, but you're constantly rolling up and down the hills. But the whole time that you're working these hills, you look over just to your left and you see this deep blue water and all the hills are covered with lush forests of giant ferns and there's always a little waterfall trickling down somewhere. And there are so many little coves. You just follow these tiny roads from the main road. I say the main road, but it's not really very busy at all. One morning we sort of timed it, and I think we had one car every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes max. Might be a bit more in peak tourist season. We were sort of at the end of high season. But anyway, you're going along the road, and then you see a little side road, so you jut down that, and you end up in this cove where... You have the sea in front of you and the lush rainforest behind you and a tranquil little campsite. If you're a bit of a fisherman or a fisherwoman, then you can grab a fishing pole and go out and catch your dinner. And There's one particular climb that was a reasonably sustained climb right at the very tip of the sounds, and you 
go for about half an hour on gravel up this road and you get to the top and it's like the whole world is just spread out in front of you. It's absolutely stunning. It took my breath away and almost three years now on the road I would say that is one of the most beautiful sights I have ever seen. Just the intense green of the hills contrasting with the deep aqua blue of the water. Really, really gorgeous stuff. And then the other wonderful thing about that area, I can see Andrew wants to bring in here, but I've got so much to say. You see, we would take years to do a whole show on the South Island. <laughs> it's just one ride. The other really wonderful thing about that area is something called the Queen Charlotte Track. It's a primarily a walking track, but you can mountain bike on it as well. So that gets you completely away from the traffic, and they've got wilderness campsites spaced along it. A little bit challenging on a loaded touring bike, but at least the first section of it is definitely doable. And again, that just opens you up to incredible vistas and you might be lucky and see some wildlife along there we saw quite a few birds and little beaches you can just you literally roll your bike up to the beach and go for a swim warm water in the summer ah look just fantastic i can't say a bad thing about the marlboro sounds so that is definitely worth putting on your itinerary andrew and for me i think one of the one of the good passes that we enjoyed was um danzy's pass which was just just north of dunedin a little bit um we basically had taken a day and gone up uh, the Central Otago uh, Rail Trail and then got off. And we started from a little town called Naseby, uh, which has a curling rink, and that's the other reason we actually went in that direction. But we went from, basically, Naseby north and through this Danzy's Pass, and we just climbed and climbed and climbed all day, and just slow ride and slowly, you know, meandering up into the mountains. And the mountains are just huge valley drops below you, and you're just, you're there pretty much by yourself. We found some mushrooms too. Tell them about the mushrooms. Oh. <laughs> Dinner plate sized mushrooms and we just devoured them. We must have picked three kilos of them and uh, just excellent. Yeah, if you're there in the fall, keep an eye out. They are only at a certain time of year, but you're looking for big brown mushrooms by the side of the road. Oh yeah, and as you come down, most of the most of the way downhill, you get to the end and there's this beautiful campsite. You know, you sit alongside the the river and it's just wonderful there's so much more we could say about the south island of new zealand but we really couldn't say it better than david and that's who we're going to introduce you to now david lives in auckland and he's pretty much cycled all over the country and he's hosted all kinds of other cyclists that come here uh, through warm showers and he's just full of information isn't he he's an absolute gold mine of information he's outlined a lot of rides and practical tips on his website cycletour.co.nz and we managed to pin david down along with his other half heather in one of auckland's best alehouses over a pint of beer and some chips for some first-hand advice. I'm David Stillerman. I'm based in Auckland in New Zealand, and I've done a lot of cycling in my own country. I think it's a great place to cycle. I've got a website, www.cycletour.co.nz, and most of what I'm going to tell you now is virtually what I've got on the website. My first question for you is, what is a dedicated, enthusiastic cyclist doing in Auckland? It's a terrible place for a cyclist to be, isn't it? Um, in many ways it is. You're, you're quite right. The traffic is not friendly. There's not enough cycle paths. It's not a place you want to do a lot of cycling. The, the upshot of living in Auckland is, is, is where you live in Auckland. Nobody goes into the Auckland city. Auckland is a series of towns on either side of a motorway. And I live in Ponsonby, and I like that place because it's near to the beach, the climate's good, it's close to work, and it's a very easy lifestyle. You know, little pubs, plenty of little bars, and you get to meet great, great people that are passing through. I suppose it's the place that most people, if they were coming to New Zealand, would land. Correct there. There's, there's two international airports, one in Christchurch, one in Auckland. 
uh, and most of the cyclists come through Auckland, so we, we, we often get warm showers, we get cyclists staying with us. I would think that actually Christchurch would be a better airport to come into for cyclists if they have the choice, don't you think? That's something that's debatable. You've got two international airports, one in the North Island, one in the South. My opinion of New Zealand cycling is that if you want to, if you've got to say, it depends on how much time you've got. Most people have got about six weeks. Go to the South Island. Cycle around the South Island. If you've got any time left over, you can do a little bit of the North. The reason for this is there's four million people in New Zealand. Three million of them reside in the North Island, one million in the South. And the South has the most spectacular countryside. It's easier to cycle around. Uh, the inclines are less arduous. The, the variety of landscape is, a much more, um, is much more intense. Whereas the, north, uh, the beauty spots in the north tend to be few and far between. You've got to go through a lot of cities in between. But having said that, if you, you arrive in Auckland International Airport, because that's where people's tickets mostly land them, from there, you can. Um, there's all kinds of ways of getting from to the top of the South Island. And that's a great place to start, top of the South Island, rather than, say, Christchurch. How would you get there? Would you take the Overlander train that runs from Auckland? There's a, there's a special backpack affair, so you can get a cheap, cheap over, Overlander. Now, if you can get the Overlander at night, you won't see anything, and you get a really uncomfortable seat, but you'll get free accommodation thrown in. Uh, but like getting on an aeroplane for 12 hours, it's slow. It's um, kind of cute in a, in a way that our railway system is somewhat behind the rest of the world. You get a little bit of clickety-clack, almost. But um, it's one way of getting to Wellington. Uh, you can get a bus, which is quicker, fairly arduous. Again, you're looking at about 10 hours from Auckland to Wellington. And is it a big deal to put your bike on, on the bus or the train? No, you have to talk to the driver. In a few years ago, I think bus drivers are like this all over the world. But they don't like bikes. But they're, they're getting better in New Zealand. Most bus drivers are very uh, understand, and they'll, um, they'll deal with us. Occasionally you'll get a grouchy one, but you just have to be polite and deal with it. So, you land in Auckland. Um, right outside the airport, there's, 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 there's a top ten um, camping ground. Now, most of, most of us are on a budget. Go to the camping ground. It's nice and clean. Top 10 Manukau campground. It's not far from the airport. At the airport, there's actually a place where you can put your bike together, which is quite rare, which is nice. Auckland Airport's got that. So it's a specific area. No matter how jet-lagged you are, you can get your bike together and your panniers together. Go to the Top 10 Holiday Park, Manukau Top 10 Holiday Park. It's a bit bland, but it, you can put a tent there. You can get over your jet lag, and you can say, okay, it's close to the airport now I can decide where I want to go from here. And whether you want to cycle to Wellington or whether you want to get a bus to Wellington or a train to Wellington or even try and get a cheap flight to Wellington. Is um, that really worth it? I mean, if you, had, if you came fully loaded, for example, would you get stung on extra luggage? You can do. You can get stung on extra, extra luggage. But it's something you need to check with when you... When you well, they also have these discount seating. It's called grab-a-seat. And it's discount seating on, on New Zealand uh, airways. But you're quite right. Uh, you might get a cheap seat from Auckland to Wellington, $50, something like that. But then you'll get stung with the extra luggage, depending on how, how light you travel. So let's assume that our intrepid cyclist has made it down to the top of the South Island. 
So you got oh, well. Then let's get to Wellington. We get off with Wellington. Okay. Um, not a lot. I can of, see you've got this all planned out in your head. You're an organised fellow. Well, I've kind of done it a few times, and I appreciate it's not easy. We're going to tuck into some chips while we're doing we're this doing as well. Good cyclists. We're, we're going to take in the calories. Moment. We're drinking. We're drinking water in Galbraith's pub in, in Auckland. You get to Wellington. If you took the overnighter, then it's going to be daytime. If you took the daytime, it's going to be nighttime. There's lots of hostels in Wellington, not a lot of campgrounds. I'd blow your budget a little bit, grab a cheap hostel, spend the night in Wellington. Not a lot to see in Wellington. It's a pretty little city, but you really want to get south if, you're not, if you've only got six or eight weeks. One of the great things is you go online, get a cheap fare, you know, super saver fare, go online on any of the two ferry companies, just put in New Zealand ferries, it'll come up. And online. Inter-Islander and Inter-Island Blue Bridge. Inter-Island and Blue Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And the trip from Wellington to to Picton in the South Island is really pretty on a, on a good day. I mean, <laughs> any ferry is bad in bad weather, but <laughs> on a good day, it's a lovely trip. You come in through a fjord, it's very pretty, it's, and it's your first taste, really, of New Zealand landscape in the South Island. And to get off the ferry, usually because you're on a bike, you're one of the first people off, cycle off the ferry into the small seaside town, Picton, uh, old, old whale, whaling area from in the 1780s. And it's a little town, it's very cosy. Go and have a coffee. <laughs> and think to yourself, well, I'm in the South Island. I'm in New Zealand. Now I'm going to go exploring and and, and having fun and uh, hopefully you pick the right season and, and the weather's brilliant and you'll be surrounded by other cyclists from all over the world Canadians, Germans, you name it Now I know there were an awful lot of sights you could see in the South Island and we had almost two months there and I'm sure we didn't see a half of them so let's focus in on two or three of your favourites if you had to do a say a top three list which three would you tell people not, not to miss three rides to really focus Whoa. on I know that's a tough one because there it are is many a, great It is ones. a difficult because I really enjoy the main road from Picton to Christchurch. Now, most cyclists want to avoid main roads. This is the number one highway going down the east coast. Fortunately, yeah. You start off and you, you land up cycling down the coast. Sure, you've got traffic, but there is, a, there is a kind of margin that is relatively safe. But on your left is the coast and the, and the sea lions and seals are generally in, on the, all the way along the coast. To your right are mountain ranges with usually snow on the top all year round. And on a brilliant day, I just, I just love this road. I love the, the snow-capped peaks on my right and the sea to my left and this aquamarine blue sea and sort of translucent ice cream waves that come just crushing and just pure white foamy waves. And I just love this and I can put up with the traffic. Just, just for the sheer exhilaration of that feeling as you head down south. And that'll take you to Kaikoura. I like that one. Um, other favorite trips in the South Island? It's got to be the West Coast. And I would travel south to north, not north to south. Most people go north to south on the West Coast. Pick the right weather, get your weather right. Make sure you have a southerly. That always helps. You don't want to be battling a, a headwind. And go up up the uh, west coast through Queenstown, Lake Howia, and up that way, Wanaka. Why, why do you go south to north? 
It's slightly, it's not quite as steep. Mm-hmm. If you come from north to south, it's slightly steeper. Also, south-north, you'll have the beach on the left. You have the sea on your left. Uh, if you're coming down, you've got, you've got the mountain ranges. You ask another New Zealand cyclist, he might disagree with me for his own reasons. That's just my opinion. The other great trips, well, it would be hard to pick out the best of them. Give them three, you need about a dozen. Well, the Nivis Road, the Molesworth Road, I'm just skipping through the uh, Mavora Lakes, which a lot of people really, really enjoy, Mavora Lakes. Sometimes you, you get to do odd little side roads, like the, the paper road from Ofer to Alexandra, which not many people know about, but you encounter giant mushrooms on the side of the track and wild thyme, so you can cook your own dinner with, with, with giant mushrooms and wild thyme that the miners planted in the 1860s. I would recommend the entire South Island and spend three months traveling it, realizing that if you try and do a loop, that is, you can do round in one go, you're always going to miss things. If you try and do one loop and just pick out the highlights, you're going to miss something. You'll miss something like the Catlins, which is outstandingly beautiful, the Catlins. And this is right down in the south near Invercargill. That's um, between Dunedin and Invercargill. Beautiful coastline, pristine beaches, isolated. I mean, if you want to, you take your clothes off and walk along the beach for a day, and you won't meet anybody. <laughs> Have you tried that personally? Uh, personally, yeah, I've done a lot of lot of skinny dipping, and I've never had any trouble with the local constabulary. Um, um, the, what about the Tekapo Canal? I mean, again, uh, Heather's to my right here is mentioning the Tekapo area. That's beautiful as well, all up around Tekapo and the, and the canal roads around the back of Tekabo. There is a train of thought that I've noticed among some cyclists that to really get the best out of New Zealand, and particularly the South Island, you have to come prepared to ride on dirt roads. Do you think that's true, or is that a fallacy? Can you come with a road bike and have a good time? I think that's a very good question. And you said, if you want to get the best out of New Zealand, you're quite right. To get the best out of New Zealand, you've got to be prepared to go a little bit off-road. That's not to say you've got to get a mountain bike with full suspension or anything like that. I've done all these really odd side roads in New Zealand on a hybrid with good Schwab Marathon tyres. That's all you need. And a little bit of fitness and determination. Gravel roads are usually uh, compacted gravel. There's usually a bit of loose gravel, but um, these roads will take you into the hinterlands of New Zealand, through the mountains, through rivers, uh, through pasture lands, and you won't see it. You'll be lucky to see three or four cars in a day. And yes, it's going to climb up and it's going to dip and it's going to, a couple of times you're going to be pushing. But believe me, uh, that's the way you'll see New Zealand. And there again on my website, you'll find lots of those. Introduction to off-road touring in a way because you do sort of—it's it's not the same as the Molesworth Road or something like that, which is incredibly rugged, but it does get you away from the cars. And yeah, I should mention the Molesworth Road. You probably start from a place called Seddon at the top of the South Island, and it's three days, 
and you won't see a you won't see any shops. <laughs> so you have to take um, you have to take most of your stuff with you, including water purification tablets. I I've never used them myself. I've drunk out of streams, but like most travellers, I make sure that the streams are coming out of the mountain. They're running fast. They're running clear, and they're uh, very cold. And if you're careful, you might be able to get away with it, but I'm not recommending this. I, I've always been lucky. You may not be. So that sort of brings us on to practicality. So the cyclist who's going around New Zealand, what do they need to be aware of? For example, how easy is it for them to find accommodation each night and shops? Are there long distances? Or do, well, they, do they need to come with a stove and all the camping gear, or can you kind of leave a bit of the weight behind? That, again, that's a good practical um, question. In Europe... Um, I know this one in, in New York. It depends where you come from. You come from Canada or France or Switzerland. You're used to a, a particular sort of cycling. Um, you don't go far between that before, before you hit another village. In New Zealand, you can cycle 80 kilometers and not find a shop. <laughs> and that can be a bit of a fright. You know, you take off and suddenly find that you're looking for a place to have a, an ice cream or something, and there isn't anywhere. That doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. So, yeah... Um, there's lots of camping. It's generally cheap. There's free camping if you're if you're polite and willing to ask. Don't assume free camping like it is in Scandinavia. Always ask. Ask a local farmer. Ask a local person who's right I camp here. Or do you know of a good place I can camp? And, and they're normally quite receptive, brother. We didn't have a chance to try that out, but what we noticed, for example, in North America, we would look for a little logging track or something and, and scoop down that and just hope no one saw us. And in New Zealand, what put us off free camping is there's fences everywhere. And we, we never really got the courage up to ask. Maybe we should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, generally speaking, New Zealanders are very friendly and they all want to show up their country. And uh, they will usually point out a spot. Uh, 50% of the time, they'll take you home <laughs> and put you up in their spare room. I mean, that's just... That's just New Zealanders for you. But they will... Uh, you can free camp. Just be careful. I guess because in New Zealand there's the indigenous people, Māori people. They own a lot of land. Uh, some of the land is tapu, which is mean it may be sacred for a particular reason. And the last thing you want to do is go cycling and find yourself in the middle of a burial site <laughs> and upsetting the local iwi, the, the local uh, hapu, the local tribe. That's one reason to be careful. But generally speaking, there will be signs up that saying no camping in this area. And there will be a good reason for that. But just be polite, be diplomatic, and be intelligent. And it, you're, you could probably free camp most of your way around New Zealand if you're willing to ask and be flexible. Apart from that, hostels, campgrounds all over the place. The cheapest ones are the dock campgrounds. Lots of the Dock Department of Conservation. They're run by the government. Cheap uh, campgrounds, basic facilities, usually a cold water tap, maybe a, a toilet, maybe a shower if it's really, if it's really uh, a, a luxury one. Not always a hot shower. <laughs> and um, they're usually in isolated and very beautiful areas. And they're good value. It depends how hardy a traveller you are. New Zealand can adapt itself. If you want to go on the main roads, stick to the tar seal, sleep in a hostel every night, you can do that. If you want to go off-road, be adventurous, free camp, cook your own meals, you can do it. What sort of a budget do you think the cycle tourist needs? Give us a range from the 
very hearty person who eats pasta every night and oh, camps me. out to... Uh, <laughs> I remember a German I met, a young German woman, she was working her way through a cabbage. And she was eating its cabbage day by day. She just chopped the cabbage up and... She bought this cabbage for about two dollars, and then she was just munching her way through it. That's that's uh, that's one. That's the most extreme budget I've come across. Um, Budget-wise, if you're free camping and you're really tight-fisted, you could do it for about I, I, twenty New Zealand dollars a day. You could probably do it for that, providing you didn't have any breakdowns. You weren't um, it's excluding tires or car bike mount maintenance stuff like that. Uh, or you can spend a hundred dollars a day. If you want to stay in a hostel, if you want to eat out or go and have a coffee, I mean, these kind of things add up over a day. Two or three ice creams can add up to ten or eleven dollars. You know, by the time you're finished, if you have a beer and you know have lunch out, I mean, those are kind of things that push your push your budget up to about a hundred dollars a day. And sticking to the practicalities, do you want a chip? You, you can yeah, have a chip. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Reading chips here. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else has finished their bowl of chips, and poor David's been working so hard, he's barely had ones. <laughs> Sticking with the practical side, what about the weather? I mean, I have to say, if you, if you look at our blog entries from New Zealand, we whinged a lot about the weather at the start, because we got dumped on with rain, and then it got a lot better, but it was a bit of a surprise for us just to find out how much it can rain in New Zealand by time. Well, uh, I think that's a little extreme. <laughs> It, um, Heather and I are known for being she's the negative, I'm the positive generally speaking in summer you get sometimes you get long brilliant Indian summers but hell you get those in any country you get those summers that seem to go on forever and New Zealand gets those and then occasionally you get the, one of those summers where it just seems to rain all the time I mean you get those in Canada, you get those in France you get those in Britain if you're a cyclist you, you, you always taking chances with the weather you pick the best season you hope that you won't hit a headwind you hope it's not going to get too cold and then for some reason you get two weeks where you're sitting in your tent watching the rain come down I mean I've done this I know what it feels like in Spain and Italy and various places and I'm sure the guys that are listening to this now and the young women have had the same sort of experience where you're thinking where the hell is the sun <laughs> that they promised me uh, and it's the same in New Zealand, it's no different. Best times, summer's supposed to start around about December. And you can usually keep cycling until about March. And possibly in, even into April when it's starting to, the colours are starting to change in the South Island. It actually gets more beautiful, a bit cooler. Um, and we've cycled and swam uh, as late as Labor Weekend, which is. Well, it was June, yeah. So we've actually been cycling in June and swimming in June. But that's that's the exception rather than the rule. But, you know, I've had cyclists turn up on my doorstep in September, and they're off to cycle around New Zealand. And I'm saying to myself, September, you know <laughs> you know what the weather's going to be? And then they, they go away for six weeks, and they get six weeks brilliant weather, and they come back and thinking what a marvelous time they had. And then the following year, somebody will come in September, some poor or Bavarian somewhere <laughs> and, and has the most miserable time yeah. but generally speaking this summer is as reliable as it is in any country December, January, February March but you know take a chance with a cheap cheap fare you might even get away with it 
October, September, even April. April wasn't too bad this year, I think, for you two. Better than our February. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going going against the normal grain of things. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to touch on with you is traffic. Now I must say that in the South Island we really had very few problems because, as you've already pointed out, the population density there is such that there's not many places where you get a lot of cars. Um, but we did have a couple negative experiences in the North Island, and I've heard more than a few people mention that. New Zealand can be, unfortunately, a bit hazardous when it comes to cycling. So well, There is a reason for this. Okay, go on. Reveal all. <laughs> um, New Zealand is a basically a, a European colony. Apart from the indigenous people that have been here for the last seven or 800 years, New Zealand population didn't begin to expand in its European waves of colonisation to begin to about the 1870s. I mean, that, hell, that's a little over 100 or so years ago. And right back when I first came here in the 60s, you could easily get a driver's license. I mean, it's easy. You didn't hit anything because there was no traffic on the road. So you got a driver's license at 15 and away you went. Some people couldn't even drive properly, but they got their driver's license. And it became into our culture that because there was so little traffic and we have a low population density, you get in your car and you just drive. Things like gridlock and traffic jams, even queuing, which are kind of European ideas, they get very patient Europeans because they have to tour, because they're used to queuing and gridlock and traffic. We're not here. So if anything gets in our way and slows us so we have to change down or indicate or brake, we start to get impatient because we don't have a cycling culture. This isn't France, it isn't Italy, it isn't Spain. It hasn't a place with intense networks of cycle tracks like Switzerland. We have country that is new to a cycling culture and we still have a large part of drivers that believes that cyclists shouldn't be on the road. Don't cycle to abreast in New Zealand, ever, even though it's legal, just don't do it. Keep left, be defensive, listen to that diesel coming up behind you and always look for a place where you can keep out the way. Would I you mean, use a mirror? You have a, mirror? a mirror is always handy but I think your instincts are your best, are your best guide. Um, you know when something's coming fast and it's coming too close. You just, uh, I'm, having said that, I don't want to be too, uh, condemn New Zealand drivers too badly. Uh, your, your worst situation is to go across a narrow bridge with high density traffic where there's nowhere for you to go. There's a truck behind you and there's a truck coming towards you. That's probably the worst situation. But even if, try and make eye contact with the drivers. Uh, put your hand out and just make a waving motion saying, you know, look out for me. Um, drivers in New Zealand are getting better. They are better than they were 10 years ago. But there's always a small provincial clique of rednecks that will, as far as they're concerned, you're Peter Fonda on a bicycle, <laughs> on a motorbike or something, and you should be blown off the road or something like that. It's, it's a kind of um, it's a mentality that I think you'll get in all countries, but it's certainly prevalent here. I'd like to end on a very positive and upbeat note. Sure. So okay, go ahead. I would like for you to describe for me your favourite day cycling in New Zealand. When was the day when you just said, wow, this is where it's at? I think there was there was one time I guess I just didn't want to get off my bike. Perfect day. I'd been cycling all day. I'd cycled from Christchurch to Ashburton, which is actually a main road. But everything was just right. I mean 
every cyclist that's listening to me now has had their perfect day. They know that some of these combinations come out of nowhere. Their, their body's working well, their, their bicycle seems to be moving under, they enter a kind of cycle trance, they become part of the landscape. Uh, they're breathing in fresh air, and it's, it's like timeless experience of, of this is what cycling's all about. And you don't want to stop. <laughs> you don't want to get off and put your tent up. You just want to keep cycling until you fall off. And I, and I had those sort of experiences. I must say, heading that towards Geraldine. And I just, I didn't want to stop. As, as the evening came on, traffic became less, stars came out. I just wanted to keep going. I just didn't want to get off my bike. It was just a beautiful, transcendental moment that I don't have the language to describe. <laughs> David and Heather, thank you very much. You're welcome. Hope you enjoyed that interview. If you have any feedback on David's thoughts on this show or our website in general, just drop us a, an email. It's us at traveling2.com. There's not too much we can add to David's thoughts. He's pretty comprehensive there, but we did want to make a few suggestions for things that you could bring along if you're coming cycling in New Zealand. And number one is probably rain gear. Rain gear, definitely. Uh, you just never know when you're going to be stuck cycling for two or three days, and it's not going to let up. That's mostly applies to the West Coast. As someone said to us, well, you are in a rainforest, so the rainforest requires rain even if you don't, which was a fair point. We, we were uh, whinging a bit about the rain at that point, and I think she was telling us that just to get us to be quiet and stop whinging. But yeah, on the West Coast, you almost certainly hit a day or two of rain, and other places, it's always a possibility. I mean, of course, a lot of it depends on luck. You know, you might get the sunniest summer they've had in years, but on the other hand, you might run into a few unseasonable storms. So just come prepared for inclement weather. And the other thing in that on that same vein is uh, three-season gear, even if you're just coming in, in summer. Um, sleeping bags, jackets, tent. You just never know when it, it could get a little bit cold, even if you're further up in the mountains. Yeah, we were in the Mavora Lakes, which are just south of Queenstown, and we had snow. And that was in early March, if I'm remembering correctly. So a time of year when really the weather should have been a lot nicer, but wasn't. And especially if you want to go up to places like Mount Cook or any of those high-altitude spots, you just never know when a bit of cold weather is going to roll in. And you want to be prepared because most of the time to make the most of those enjoyable rural locations, you are going to be out in the middle of nowhere and there might not be a, a hostel nearby. So you definitely want to be warm. The other thing is you might want to bring some little extra money if you wanted to do any splurges like, I don't know, jet boating or bungee jumping or who knows. There's a lot of adventure activities on offer here in New Zealand and I think most of them start at 100 New Zealand dollars and upwards. If you wanted to do three or four of them, you'd probably be looking at the better part of $600, I would say. So, and even if you don't want to do anything quite that extravagant, you might want to treat yourself to a few ice creams every day or maybe just a room in a hostel instead of a night in your tent, that kind of thing. And that's especially nice if the weather turns turns bad. So, yeah, a little bit of extra money in your budget. Yeah, you just might want to dry out for a couple of days. And finally, mosquito repellent. This is really important for the South Island. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, black flies in the South Island, in parts, uh, and sometimes they can be a little bit aggressive. They can definitely be vicious, I think is the word. Sandflies is the local name for them. Uh, yeah, so definitely on the west coast, but all over really you can get them. It, it just depends on the time of year and again what the weather's like, but some good mosquito repellent is not a bad idea. Maybe even some mosquito coils. We found those help keep 
the bugs away sometimes when we were cooking dinner. So that would be something else you could tuck into your bag. Well, I think that's about it, because otherwise you'll be uh, coming to New Zealand with too much luggage and you'll just be paying way too much in airfare. Yeah, we'll we'll stop now. <laughs> we'll stop now. We've got enough to do anyway. We're going to be heading off to America in about a week. Off to California? Yeah, so we've got our bikes actually in an amazing display of efficiency. We have our bikes already boxed and ready to go. And we're going to go traveling with my uncle for a few days by car because he's not much of a cyclist. And then first week of May, we're off to California. Hopefully we won't catch swine flu. Yeah, so hopefully we'll just head north and just avoid it all. That's fingers crossed. I don't know if you can outpedal swine flu, but we're going to give it a shot. By the end of June, we, uh, we're hoping to be in Edmonton. Yeah, we're really looking forward to that ride. You know, a lot of people have said some fantastic things about the scenery, especially going through Montana. Montana seems to win rave praise from all the cyclists we've spoken to. And the Icefields Parkway, we're hoping that we can fit that in. We have driven it before a long time ago, so we've got an idea of what it's like, but it would be nice to cycle it. We'll have to see. A different experience, I think, yeah. The thing about this summer is that it's going to be a very busy one for us because we're hoping to do 8,000 kilometers, and we've got about five months to do that in, but then we've probably got about a month of visiting to do with friends and family, who some of whom we haven't seen for 10 years. So we'll see how far we get. We'd really like to get all the way home to Nova Scotia, but there's a chance that our trip may end in Montreal when the snow starts flying in October, just depending on how much we dawdle and how many cakes we eat with family and friends and all that sort of thing. So that's about it from us from Auckland. Um, Happy cycling. And see you next time in the Northern Hemisphere.